when uh, we first moved into this building, it was also at that moment that we added our first second staff member, paid staff member. At first it was Rob Herr, uh, and actually tomorrow marks the one-year anniversary of his entering into the presence of the Lord. So please remember Dot at this time, if you would, and the family. But uh, Rob was a very, if you knew Rob, he was a very gifted man. And, but his, his gifts were not necessarily, by his own admission, all the things that I was going to be asking him to do as my administrative assistant. Uh, he was going from being vice president of quality control in a company that designed financial software for large banks, and he did that quite well. He did a lot of things quite well. Most of you remember what a great Sunday school teacher he was in our adult uh, class for, for many years, and that was just his passion. Uh, wonderful deacon. But uh, it always kind of struck me odd because not everybody knows this, but I actually approached Dot first for the job. And she said she'd pray about it, and she came back and standing there with Rob, and I said, uh, so I said do you have an answer? She says, I'm not going to take the job. I said, well, why not? And then he speaks up because I want the job, okay? She was out of work. He was not. He quit his job so he could come here. It's, it's just a, an amazing story. But um, learned a lot. But one thing that I realized is that there were a lot of routines, and uh, as smart as Rob was, he, he had a hard time. Uh, going through the pedantic things of uh, being a glorified church secretary for the most part. And so I developed the, the practice of, as I would show him how to do something, I realized I need to create sort of a manual for him so that next week I don't have to teach it to him again. And, and I've continued that practice. Most of those things carried over for Brother Dale when he came over, which is a blessing. But beside that, I thought, this is pretty good, and I have found... Uh, maybe it's because I'm aging a little bit, but there's certain tasks that I do maybe only once a year, and so I find myself forgetting and have to relearn, like, now, what did I do? Okay, so I've actually started in certain areas to create myself personal manuals, and I've benefited greatly by doing that, so I remember, and I don't have to go through all the hard work of, of doing it from scratch over and over again, um, and my life my wife got tickled at this because one of those is putting up the Christmas houses above her kitchen cabinets because they, they go in a particular order, you know, and they plug in a certain way. And I decided I'm going to take pictures and all that stuff. And as I was reading and preparing for tonight's message, I thought to myself, you know, some of the Word of God is... The Lord working through individuals who open up and essentially express, uh, I'm creating a personal manual in this area of my life. Now, probably most of us are in the practice of giving glory to God, giving praise to God. But as I was reading Psalm 138, I found myself thinking that this almost comes across as if David is writing this down to say, this is my manual on how I am going to give thanks to God, how I'm going to worship God. Things that I don't want to forget about, because quite frankly, you know, God teaches us some lessons, and, and we think, I'll never forget this. 
But then a little time goes by and we get comfortable and it gets murky in our memories and we go through something else and you're like, you know what? Lord, you already taught me this, you know? Why am I so slow to pick up on this? Well, that's the beauty of God's Word is we go back to it because we do have short-term <laughs> memories uh, when it comes to some of these things. So I want to read Psalm 138 tonight and then I want to talk a little bit about thinking through your thankfulness. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answerest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt receive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. Now what David writes here, of course, is really God. This is inspired of the Lord. And so if you and I sit down and write something out, even to help us on a spiritual nature, and, and by the way, sometimes I do what's called journaling, where I'll write after I've gone through something, I'll write down my thoughts, and I'll go back to it years later and read through it. And it's very helpful for me, thinking, yes, the Lord taught me some wonderful lessons. I commend that practice to you, by the way, if you don't do that, whether you type it up on your computer or buy just an inexpensive little book from the uh, Office Depot or something like that. Uh, it's very helpful to go back and remind yourself, uh, you know, what the Lord has taught you. Well, what we write will not be inspired of God. There might be a sense in which we receive direction from the Lord, but it won't be without error, and that's okay. But we do come to this, and we say, well, this is a good pattern for me to follow as I read what David did and realize that this is God putting a stamp of approval on what is here. So, as we think through our thankfulness, what are so, some tips that we could pick up on in doing so? And I want to consider three things tonight. And the first one is this. Singular thankfulness should be immediate. We might be around a lot of disgruntled, grumbly people, lost people that don't appreciate all that God has done for them, even, you know, even though they're not Christians, they're not believers, they're not his children, but God's still doing things for them. Bottom line is we're responsible for number one. I can choose to be thankful. And I shouldn't be waiting around for anything to happen. I shouldn't have any expectations or pre-qualifications saying, well, I'll be thankful after such and such. David is really talking about his own personal experience in the first three verses. And as I was reading these verses, I find him talking about how he gave thanks and then why he was giving thanks. And they're exactly the same things that should be true of our life. 
How should you give thanks? Well, the first one deals with our devotion. The idea that we ought to be devoted to God. He says the phrase, the whole heart is mentioned here. And the whole heart means that we don't allow things to compete with our relationship with God. Thinking about Danny and Sarah most recently getting married. Well, you know, part of the vows is saying that, you know, I forsake all others and I cling only to you. You know, whatever previous friendships that we've had prior to our marriage relationship with persons of the opposite gender, uh, those don't continue on in that same fashion. We need to understand that there, a, a good relationship like that can't thrive if there's a sense on the other person's part of, well, do I have your heart or don't I have your heart? You'd be in some, probably be seeing you for marriage counseling if that was going on. But you know what? That happens in the lives of Christians way too often. In fact, as you read the Old Testament, you see God talking to the children of Israel, how their hearts would go after other gods. What they were often going after was the, the life that was involved in paganism. That appealed to them in a fleshly way. And they wanted the esteem of their neighbors, the pagans, and, and to be accepted by what they were doing, to fit in. There's no room for us to have a divided heart in our devotion to God if we're able to really give thanks. We must resolve to love God with our whole heart. David is a man who was after God's own heart. Solomon, his son, comes along and he's very wise, but unfortunately he has a problem in this area. And the Bible says that Solomon loved two things. It says that Solomon loved the Lord. There's no question about it. It's stated in Scripture as fact. But it also says Solomon loved many strange women. And the fact that both of those statements are true means he was not devoted to God even though he loved God. In fact, he had a major problem with all those strange wives, and by strange we mean foreigners, and they brought in their paganism. And really... You can draw a line back from all those minor prophets and major prophets and through kings and chronicles, and you can see all that disturbance of people that were not as a nation solidified in their devotion for God. Where did it all begin? Well, it really all went back to Solomon. Because right after him, what happens? There's a major split. And there's never really a... a place where the kingdom shines on either side wholeheartedly for very long in their devotion to God if we're really going to be able to give God our thanks worship him in a way that he is honored by it we have to be devoted we have to say God I'm all in for you another way that we need to give thanks is being dauntless if we could so what I what do I mean by this well, he also says in verse 1 that he is praising before the gods. He's singing before the gods. Well, now, it's unlikely that David means other deities because he personally believes there's only one God. But the Hebrew word behind this, Elohim, is often used in the Old Testament, translated other ways, and it can refer to, to mighty individuals that are, for instance, uh, political leaders, officials in that way. 
And it's most likely that that's what it is referring to here. David, in other words, would not become timid about his God simply because there's influential individuals around that don't share his passion for God. This is maybe not always true. He seems to that time that he was running from Saul and went into Philistia, he maybe got a little timid about his his openness, about his devotion for God while he was there. But this was probably written much later in life, and maybe he's realizing that was a major mistake. You know, now... I am going to be very open, no matter who's around. I'm not going to concern. Well, but they're maybe not believers. All the more reason to be enthusiastic about the one true God. And it is, it is true that we all live in communities surrounded by people who are lost and don't share our enthusiasm for God. And it is tempted to be daunted by that and to dial it back. And we really shouldn't do that. We should be like David here. I'm, I'm going to sing, you know. You know, when the weather's nice and you have your windows open, sing praises. And if someone says, you know what, there's neighbors here. I hope they hear, you know. Victory in Jesus. Count your blessings, you know. Be dauntless in your praise to God. I think back on David one other occasion. He, he's, he's coming back. He's, he's caught up in the, fer, the fervor and all the celebration of the ark coming back. And there in 2 Samuel chapter 6, he's, he's celebrating before God. And he's probably done some sort of cavorting. You know, it's called dancing in the, in the King James Bible. But, you know, not like we think about dancing, okay? But he is just, you know jumping and leaping and praising God. And as king, you know, his wife looks down and sees him, and, and, and she's just repulsed by what she sees. I guess she didn't think this was very dignified for the king to be behaving this way. And later, when he gets back home, <laughs> and he realizes he's in trouble with the missus, okay, and she calls him on the carpet for this. You know how he responds to her when she thinks, well, you, you know, you were acting kind of vile out there. He says this to her in 2 Samuel 6, 22. I will yet be more vile. You call that vile? Okay. Then you ain't seen nothing yet. Why? I'm, I am not going to curtail my praise to God. Be dauntless in your relationship with God. Don't let others dissuade you in your worship and praise of God. Thirdly, how we ought to praise God. God is in our direction. He mentions toward the temple. And this is not the only place where this concept is mentioned of praising in the direction of the the temple. And it likely, of course, obviously means the tabernacle, the tent, because the temple uh, structure won't be built until uh, until the sun comes along. But you might remember this. In, In Jonah's story, he's swallowed by the great fish. He's been taken down a peg or two, right, to say the least. Finally, after he's been there, you know, three nights in the belly of this fish, he prays. But what's interesting, it says in Jonah chapter 2, 4, as he prays, very humble prayer, it says he prays toward the temple, towards the presence of the Lord. And he wants to come in the presence of the Lord to worship before him in his temple. Now, we think, 
I can pray anywhere. And we can, and so could they. But even in Babylon, remember Daniel. And he's miles and miles away from Jerusalem. But what was Daniel's pattern of prayer? He would open up the windows and he'd pray toward Jerusalem. This ceremonial practice most likely helped them to focus their mind in a very intentional way, being very directional. Now, we don't want to become superstitious like some religions. That, you know, the, those that are in Islam, they pray towards Mecca and they believe that there's some sort of extra favor they gain with their false god because of that. That's not the idea here. But we can be very distracted in our culture. And I think there is something to be said of making sure we are directing our minds in our worship of God. We've probably all been guilty of this, and I'll own up to it as well. We can be singing a praise right here in this room that we call a church. And we can finish it, and, and, and all of a sudden you think, wait, what did we just sing? Or you get home, and someone will say, you know, in the family, you know, wasn't that, a, you know, I love the words of that. And you're thinking, you know, I've sung that, I, did, I guess I kind of checked out momentarily. We do that. But you know what, if we are a little bit more intentional, more directing of ourselves, perhaps our worship and our praise and our thanks to God will be more genuine, not only more honoring to Him, but more beneficial to us as the ones that are offering it up. But then why should you give thanks? Well, he goes on to talk about God as being benevolent, and that is seen in His loving kindness. Rhonda talked about the kindness of God, and I was smiling as I was thinking that what I was going to say already in my mind about this. And as I was preparing this message, you know, um, I like to sometimes as I'm preparing my message, my main studies at home, and I was going back through it today, and I, I'll sometimes on a nice day like today, you know, take a break and walk outside in the neighborhood, in the streets, and, you know, and I was just, I was looking up and we don't always get to enjoy fall here in the south, okay? People in the mountain areas, you know, they really get to enjoy it. But, but we've had some really nice colors this year, at, you know, if, even if it's just for a time. And there's some Bradford pear trees in our neighborhood, and they are just fiery red. And, and I'm just thinking, oh, I'm so glad that I don't just look at this vegetation and think, oh, you know, isn't this nice, you know, the Mother Nature did this. I'm thinking, no, this is my kind creator who, who said all this was good and yet he gives this as eye candy to me to enjoy and appreciate and to enjoy these things as well. And, I mean, we could just go on and on and talk about the kindness. I'm thankful for my family, for my, my children, for my bonus children and for uh, this church and and I'm thinking, you know, literally, we talk about the cup overflowing. God is kind. But we can sometimes, even as Christians, pick out one thing that gets in our crawl. <laughs> and we can suddenly stop just praising God for all those other things. Other places, this word loving kindness is translated merciful. Same word behind it, but based on the context, merciful. God, in other words, is unrivaled in showing compassion. You know some compassionate people? I sure do. I mean, amazingly compassionate people. 
people that I try to emulate even. But you know what? No one comes close to the compassion of God. Humanity, think about this, humanity in general enjoys a certain measure of mercy and goodness from God just as their creator, whether they're his children or not, right? We all enjoy the benefits of creation, even though we're undeserving of it. All of my neighbors, there, there are some that are atheists. I know, I've talked to them, okay? They get to enjoy that same Bradford pear tree that I do. When the rain falls and it waters my grass and turns it green, it does the same thing for their lawns, too. God is good. God is very good. His goodness seems even better when we begin to understand how bad we really are, right? Contrast always helps. So how can we not give thanks to God for being so benevolent? But God is also, we need to thank Him. Why? Because He's believable. And that's displayed in this idea of Him being a God of truth. It is said in Hebrews 6.18, it's an immutable truth that it is impossible for God to lie. God can't do it. Don't you wish that it was impossible for you to, to bend, you know, and sometimes you're thinking, you know, I want to be honest, I want to be forthright, you know, I want to speak the truth in love, and, and we, have to, we have to concentrate sometimes about making sure we're being accurate. And, and this is in God's rooted in His very nature. It is His person. He's therefore unmatched in His reliability. I've got some people, you know, that I'm thinking, okay, and, and you do this too. If I need to count on someone, there's certain people you just you know you're not going to go to. You'll go to them if it sort of doesn't matter whether it happens or it doesn't happen. But when something's critical, there's certain individuals, that, and you're probably thinking of them right now, this person is so reliable. But even those people might accidentally forget, didn't mean to, or they become encumbered somehow. They were, their, their intentions were to do it, but they're just... But God is completely reliable. We live in a culture where people skew reality and think that they are harmlessly putting their, their spin on things. And if, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to NPR for a half hour and you'll find out what I'm talking about, okay? Or any media outlet, pretty much. They, they're putting their spin on it, you know? They're presenting portions of the fact, but knowing that people will walk away with the wrong perception about things. Our God never does that. That's why it's like, okay, off with the news and let's go to the Bible because that's where I'm going to find consistent truth. And so we need to be thankful to God on a personal basis. We need to not be waiting around for anyone else and what they're doing. But the Scripture does go on in this text to talk about what was going to happen eventually. Because when you think, I wish everybody was thankful and praising of God. Well, you know what? The day is coming where that is going to be the case. In verses 4 and 5, it talks about the widespread thankfulness being inevitable. These verses certainly did not describe the time period in which David was writing. I mean, because he knew lots of pagan leaders that we're not going to be praising Jehovah God. In fact, we have not yet seen a time in our world's history where we could say all the kings have properly shown praise and homage and honor to the king of kings. That's never happened yet. 
But he's talking about it here in these verses, in verse 4. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee. Human authorities do not easily acknowledge their appreciation for someone else that's also an authority, lest they have to submit to them. There comes that pride, right? But it is going to happen. So what is David talking about? Well, we know in the tribulation, there is the sounding of the seventh and final trumpet. In Revelation 11.15, at that time, it says this, There were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world, and I'm pretty sure kingdoms are led by kings. That's why they're called that, right? Okay, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. It is stated as fact at that time. Now, it's proclaimed at this point, but it's then, according to Revelation 21, 24, we see it actually practiced. So there's a little bit of space of time, if you would. And when is this? Now we're talking about a new heaven, new earth, verse 1, Revelation 21. And then they see the new Jerusalem coming down, and it seems to be hovering halfway between the two. And in this new heaven, in this new earth, and it says in Revelation 21, 24, the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. There's the fulfillment of what David is talking about. It is inevitable. So think about the, the current leader in Venezuela. Think about some of the, the past sinister leaders that we've had. And we know the worst ones are yet to come still. And yet the kings, these human governors, will be praising our God. As I think about this, I'm reminded of Lucifer coming to Jesus there in the book of Matthew and tempting him. Of course, we know that it, you know, Jesus is the Son of God, but to, and he was tempted in all points, but yet without sin. Praise the Lord. But Jesus responded as an example for us. And one of the things that Lucifer offered to him, hey, bow down to me and I'll give you all the what? All the kingdoms of the earth. And of course, he's the prince in the power of the air, so in a manner of speaking, it might have been to a degree his to offer, we might suggest, but to bow to the prince of darkness, unthinkable. It was already determined, though, to be a time that every head of state will praise Jesus Christ. Jesus already knew what we're now reading in the book of Revelation. He knew. I don't, you know, he didn't say this, but he could say, why should I do this? It's, it's going to happen in my Father's perfect timing. Praise and thanksgiving will continually flow from all lips someday. And that's going to be a great time to be alive and serving King Jesus. So you say, but that's not now. I'm still surrounded by a lot of people that are so vile and joke and scoff and make jest of Jesus Christ, and it just gets me. 
So what do we have to do? You and I must keep the final chapter of human history fresh in our minds as we live in contemporary, contemptuous society. Our faith must not falter simply because the widespread unthankfulness of the current world because the thankfulness of the world to come is on its way. But then lastly, we see the response of thankfulness being our hope in verses 6 through 8. In these last verses, the writer expresses some realities that may seem less than ideal to us. I mean, we typically give thanks as more of a reflex action. Something pleasant, something beneficial happens, and we're like, I've got to praise, right? That's how we pretty much all think as human beings. But he shares two thoughts that are probably a challenge for all of us. And they are this, life is rough and God seems remote. Life is rough at times, and at times God seems remote, just not as close as I would like. He says in verse 7, you know, walking in the midst of trouble. Can you identify with that at times in your life? Maybe you can right now. Walking in the midst of trouble. Again, paraphrased, life is rough. Life is rough. And God doesn't always just remove the roughness. And there are times that God seems to be a little unapproachable, if you would. He's high, as he's described in verse 6. And we know we're, we're talking about this idea because he goes on to say, even though you're high, Lord, yet you still have respect for the lowly person. And it doesn't matter that you're lowly or unimportant, we would say, by the world's standards, because God esteems you as his child if you've received the adoption of spirit. I mean, we're his child. In fact, he gives preference to the lowly. It doesn't matter that you live in the midst of trouble, because God saves and he revives, according to our text. You will never be the victim of your circumstances. That's a phrase that sometimes I hear people, oh, you're just the victim of circumstances. Not so with the believer. You're never a victim of circumstances. You're always a pawn of his providence. If you've ever played chess, you know, usually people that are just starting chess think about pawns as the throwaway pieces. But if you've played chess for very long, you realize pawns are very valuable. In a game of chess, the pawn is often undervalued, and just as it's about to be taken in some games, the chess master might move it to capture or cripple the most versatile of its opponent's pieces. I mean, there's been many a game where a pawn has made its move and checkmated the king. So you think, well, I'm a pawn. I'm just moved about by God. Praise the Lord for that. No better place to be than in the sovereign's hand to move us about. Where you are, you are placed by God's divine intention. Rejoice in that. He knows what he's doing, folks. I came across this quote by Tim Keller that I thought was quite good to wrap our thoughts up tonight, and is this. Gratitude is what you feel. Thankfulness is what you do. We can't control our feelings. Our, our feelings 
sometimes are influenced by circumstances, by physical condition, by interaction with other people. And sometimes we just feel something. And so that's more of a reflex. But we're called to have a response of thankfulness. And we can purpose to do certain things by God's grace and to His glory. And so this year, as you think through your thankfulness, also, let's all plan to put it into action. Amen? God help us. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. I pray that you would now use your truth to encourage our hearts, to guide us. We have so much to be thankful for. We don't even need to look at physical blessings, tangible things. Lord, the greatest blessing is the relationship that we have with you and how you use us and how we know our future to be and how nothing can prevent us from praising your name. So, Father, may we think through our thankfulness and then may we be thankful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.